because they invaded another country and annexed a significant portion of it called Crimea. Right. He's saying that it was President, my boss, it was his fault. Now, you know, is that a big deal to you or not? He clearly couldn't come up with the name of the president he worked for. Obama! That's right. I have that sort of thing, not to that, not like I don't have it to that level yet, but I'm a a lot younger than Joe Biden. A lot. But I still have the senior moments now, now and then where I just can't remember something that like, I mean, is... It's common as common as anything can be, and it just pops out of my head, and I sure. know it'll pop back in. Yeah. Luckily, I'm not to the point where it's things like, like that. Like, I don't forget my kid's name. If um, Sam, if Sam, yeah. I mean, that's never happened. Right. Well, that's a similar level of sin. Listen to it again here. This is Joe Biden, obviously. Because they invaded another country and annexed a significant portion of it called Crimea. Right. He's saying that it was President, my boss, it was his fault. It's- oh, boy. And he's, that's disturbing. And, I mean, and if you're older, you do that all the time. I've, I've gotten used to workarounds on that. Right. Because the, the word flips out of my, flips out of my head. And I yeah, have to, but like somebody you worked with for eight years? One of the most famous people on the planet. Well, yeah, no kidding. I'm not going to forget Tiger Woods' name, and we've never worked together at all. <clears throat> or Barack Obama, for that matter. That's that's not good. No, I don't, yeah, well, no, it's not good. Definitely not good. In terms of uh, the, the, the using it as a political angle, I think Trump's two best bets currently. Now, all kinds of things could change. I don't know what the topics are going to be in four months. But as of right now, where Trump is down in a whole bunch of states that he won, I think his bet, best bet is... Uh, Going after the craziness in the streets someplace. We're going to talk more about Portland coming up if you didn't hear what happened overnight. Craziness in the streets and cities. I'm going to restore law and order. It's a little dicey because you've been president for four years, but you're going to restore law and order. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and it's, it's, there's no denying these are new developments. Absolutely. And Biden's lost it. He's a crazy old person. He barely knows where he is. Yeah. Um, those, are the, those are the two best angles, I think. Add, that, add to that. We'll get the economy roaring like it was before. We just got to get through the bat fever. Um, yeah, that's a pretty strong message if you can keep it simple. And if, if if Biden is unable to like remember Obama's name or or the United States of uh, you know the thing, I mean, come on. If Biden does that on a debate stage, though, how big a deal is that? Uh, that's huge. You think it's huge? Yeah, like move the polls huge? for who though? Like I feel like people like it's my I'm back to my needles are stuck argument. I think people are. Voting for not the other guy as opposed to voting for their guy. Yeah, although there are apparently enough persuadables in your key states of Wisconsin and Michigan and and uh, and Pennsylvania that might teeter. I mean, according to the polls right now, which are not meaningless, but they're not real meaningful. uh, According to those polls, the persuadables have, have leaned away from Trump. You could probably get them to lean back. You know what the great... I, I listened to a podcast on this the other day. I think it's really interesting. The The, the question that came up was, well, if, if Trump is down as far as he is, he's dropped so much in various groups, but his overall approval rating, you know, like women over this age or suburban this or whatever, old, he's dropped in a bunch of different groups, but his overall approval rating is hanging right around where it has been all along. Mm. And you you just you just wonder, the 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 big unknown is what percentage of people who don't approve of the, the of the way he does his job, are still going to vote for him? That's a great question. Nobody knows that number. 
The people it's are going to say, no, I don't approve. I hate when he says this, he does that. That was ridiculous. That's crazy. And then you walk in and you vote for him. Right. I'll bet that is a substantial number of humans. That's the unknown number. Right. Right. Which is why, you know, a lot of the coverage in the polls just don't mean anything. And we'll have a poll in November on the 3rd, and that will be a margin of error of zero. And, of course, you vote for him anyway because you realize he's a white supremacist and you're a racist. No, you vote for him because you you, you choose him over Biden. It's that simple. Yeah. you got to choose one of the two. Yeah. Keep... Wake up. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Or if he just wanders off the stage, that'd eh, probably be bad, too. Or start screaming, as Jonah Goldberg says. Start screaming, get these squirrels off me. <laughs> if he does that, I think that's going to hurt him in the polls. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> Longtime YouTuber Jenna Marbles has uh, quit the YouTube. I saw this headline and thought, who? What? I don't care. And I was going to bring this story to you for the purpose of <clears throat> talking about these, uh, th- th- you're supposed to keep track of new celebrities come out like every, every three months. It's, it's ridiculous. New celebrities. The new, the new hot chick who's in a movie. I don't care. But whatever happened to John Wayne movies? Couple of things. <laughs> Jenna Marbles has 20 million subscribers. 20 million. Jenna Marbles. That is the first time I've heard that name. I think. Uh, I can say the same. She's 33 years old. She appears to be a comedian. That doesn't make She's her a not, real cutie. That doesn't make her not important or popular or whatever. <laughs> it just means I'm in a age group and lifestyle where that person's name doesn't reach me. But she has 20 million subscribers, and I've, that's the first time I've ever heard her name. And that's she, pretty interesting. She has left YouTube under pressure, Jack. Okay. Yeah, that, that part is interesting enough, but uh, because of some of the comedy stuff she did in the past... Uh, a 2011 video in which she makes jokes about Asians, which she now calls awful and inexcusable. And God forbid, she did an imitation of Nicki Minaj in 2011, nine years ago, in which she donned makeup to make her skin look darker. Now called huh. inaccurately blackface. Um, wow. And so she has had to pull back. Um, and uh, the headline in the USA Today is uh, longtime YouTuber Jenna Marbles apologizes for old racist videos. And I bring that up for a purpose. Uh, between compliant members of the press and your critical race theory people and your BLM people calling everything racist. I mean, quite literally, unless you are an activist who agrees with everything they do point by point, you are a racist. And everything is racism. There's a story that's getting a fair amount of attention from not too far from where I live about some teenagers who got in a fight in a parking lot and somebody dropped an uh, an N-bomb. rather. And I think we're supposed to be upset about this. Um, Yet again, devaluing real racism. How, How can you reach adulthood and not understand when two people are angry at each other to the point of inflicting violence upon each other, they will say anything they can think of that would hurt the other person's feelings. Number two, we're talking about children here. And so there's some sort of a a serious investigation, civil rights, blah, 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 about two children punching each other in the head and one said a rude racial word. Do the activists not understand or do they not care? I don't think they care that 
they're going to have the opposite effect of what they're trying to do. Sure. Um, how can you reach the age of adulthood and still think the song Imagine by John Lennon is meaningful? I remember when I was a child, and I thought it was special, too. Then I stopped being a child, and now I can barely listen to this, this song. The lyrics are stupid. They're for children. Well, they're for, for eight-year-old girls. They're sweet. It's greeting card rhetoric, as I often say. At best. Anyway, yeah. uh, some activists are pushing for John Lennon's Imagine to become the new national anthem. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that'd be a small number That's of people. That's when that... I moved to Paraguay or Uruguay. Or... <laughs> Seriously, how can you be an adult and still think that song is like really, really touchy? It's too? really heavy. It's really heavy. Yeah. You child? Yeah, I know. <laughs> people are saps. No, the reality of what people uh, are like. It's a pretty song. Sure. We're in the, these people were in the streets in Portland last night. We'll play you a little of the sound and tell you a little about that. There was an attempt to set up a new Chaz in Portland. Met with the police. Lots of businesses got destroyed, etc., etc. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We have another poo jogger in the news. You know, I only bring that up because uh, I want something that's not coronavirus, not the economy, not Trump, not any of that stuff. The old poo jogger, the old person that jogs around and you're trying to figure out who it is and you catch him on camera. I love those stories. Well, it's a sick enough jogging against the law. Where does the poo enter into it? Well, the joggers stop and they 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 do their thing in your lawn or your sidewalk or whatever. It's a it's a I problem. I prefer they don't. I would too. <laughs> what the? But heck? the prevalence of various door cams and that sort of thing, it's it's easier to catch these people now. Wow. Instead of them getting away with their craziness. Remember that school where somebody was doing it on the high school football field, fifty yard line. It turned out to be the superintendent or the principal or something. I think it was superintendent. Yeah. God. That's the the craziest story ever. Uh, It may be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Were they drinking the previous night? I mean, because generally you got a decent idea whether you're going to have to go in the next, you know, few minutes. Some people don't. (laughs) I guess I have a gift. Uh, Congratulations. (laughs) I'm like an intestinal psychic. How wonderful to be an intestinal Mm, psychic. About 41 to 42 minutes from now. Yep. Mm hmm. A bowel Nostradamus. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, the Miss Cleo of crap. So, oh boy. Um, Portland last night. This is what it sounded like. No good cops in a racist system among the chants that were happening last night as cops and the mob ran into each other uh, in Portland uh, late in the night as people were trying to set up a, a Chaz there in Portland, like happened in Seattle. Let me every say, city, every town, burn the precinct to the ground. Yes, that's what uh, that's when, oh when it got God. ugly, when they got close to the precinct and tried to do exactly what happened in Seattle. Where you force the police to abandon the precinct, and then you've got no, you know, you've taken over. Right. Uh, by the way, may uh, may I state for the record, please, it's not a racist system. There are racist cops, certainly. There are racist grocery store employees. According to police. Um, but that you're wrong. You're just wrong. According to police, the north side of the north precinct in Portland was set up ablaze around 2.15 a.m., 
Then officers responded. Rather than abandoning the precinct like they did in Seattle, the Portland police decided because they saw that or abandoning your police station it seems crazy to me. Yeah. Now, the argument at the time was, well, it was going to get very violent if we if we defended the police station. But you got to defend the police station. Right. You well, just that gotta. just goes to show you, as, as Looney Tunes as Portlandia is, Seattle's worse. Anyway, uh, police officers then used uh, uh, gas, and uh, then canisters of tear gas were thrown back at the police. Earlier in the night, demonstrators were um, shooting police in the face shields with paintballs, which then splatters on your shield, and then you can't see anything. So that's when police started to use crowd control munitions because, well, they couldn't see. Wow, if we're using strobe lights, which I read earlier, and paintballs, we are very, very, very close to wholesale violence. I mean, wholesale deadly violence. I would say the restraint by the police when that is going on, the fact that there aren't, you know, a lot of injured or dead protesters is uh, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's it's a difficult balance to strike because I completely get what you're saying about it. you can't let your precinct be taken over or enormous swaths of your city taken over by jackasses. But stupid, unsupportable by the facts movements separate, of course, as always, from legitimate expressions of grievance against the government. People's civil rights are not being uh, upheld in some cases. That's totally legitimate. But the the radical element of this movement is unsupportable by the facts. And those movements come and go. They gain steam, they lose steam, they go away, people chuckle, chuckle about them 20 years later. I mean, you start beating them on the head with sticks or shooting them, you get more of it, not less. Right, it's like ignoring your kid when they throw a tantrum. It's a difficult balance to strike. Several businesses were looted overnight after windows were smashed and more fires were set. I'm a taxpayer. I got a business. You're letting a mob smash everything in my store because they need to blow off steam. I just, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. And then people were bailed out almost immediately because a GoFundMe was set up to uh, to bail all the, the people that had smashed stuff out, and most of them were out, and the DA is not going to uh, prosecute. So there you go. So listen to this, would you? In a related story. An investment advisory company is leaving the cultural unrest in Seattle and moving its headquarters to Phoenix. This is from KTAR uh, TV, so that's in Phoenix, and so they're they're happy about this. But um, <clears throat> the head guy in this company says the unrest that's taken place in the city of Seattle. There's really not a downtown business community today. Although taxes in Seattle are lower, candidate recruitment is hard. Cost of living is more expensive. Uh, my biggest concern for Seattle was that the business community is going to come back to and what kind of businesses are going to come back for customers. Um, better quality of life, just too dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. So there you go, Seattle. Are we supposed to mention Simply Safe here, uh, Michael? Uh, no. No, that's coming up later. Well, you did. I did. Can't unring a bell, and Jack. I'll, I'll mention it again later. Um, fine home security system. You ought to order it today. Well, having home or business security is getting more important. There's no doubt about that as yeah. things are getting crazier and crazier. Oh, speaking of which, the video we posted at armstrongandgetty.com, it's, uh, it's, it's grim. It's tough to watch. It is a, cup, a couple of Pennsylvania state troopers, routine uh, traffic stop, but for whatever reason, the rather large guy did not want to be, uh, he was clearly drunk, um, he did not want to be uh, arrested. And he fights the cops 
And it is a realistic portrayal of what that is like. It's not like in the movies, and it's not like a lot of you naive people think it should be. And the, the it ends with the guy getting away from the two cops, reaching into the car, getting a gun, and shooting both the troopers. The one trooper, Trooper Kelly, was shot four times, arrived at the local hospital clinically dead, spent 12 days in a medically induced coma, 25 days in the hospital, doesn't remember the shootout. Thank God the monster who did this is going to go to jail for a very long time. But we've had a number of cops write in and say, uh, point out the so-called chokehold. It's like a submission hold in, in mixed martial arts. It's routinely used. It's the way you get somebody to submit. The, and, and it has nothing to do with kneeling on a guy's neck for eight minutes. It's, it's, it's just completely unrelated. If you eliminate that, there will be, as Positive Sean pointed out, more violence. Because if you can't subdue somebody by making them go limp with no permanent harm to them, none, then you got to beat the hell out of them if they're trying to get their gun or your gun or whatever. Is that really what we want? But again, this hasty, naive uh, effort to quote-unquote reform policing, it's, it's just you have to be smart. Boy, you, you certainly can't have the message out there that it's a, uh, as Sean said, an opt-in fight to get away if you want to. You, you you get to go ahead and fight the cop, and then he has to show restraint while you can be as brutal as you want, and then you can try to get away. And perhaps shoot him to death. And if you right. start to lose, then he has to use restraint and just cuff you. The Armstrong and Getty Show. An Idaho woman has set a new world record by dressing her husband in 32 t-shirts in one minute. According to the husband, he's almost got the hang of it and he could be dressing himself soon. (laughs) What? That's an odd record. We're going to talk to Long Hee Chen coming up in a little bit. You killed our show, James. Thanks. Um, Came to a halt there. <laughs> Long Hee Chen coming up. And uh, we haven't talked much presidential politics with him, uh, the, the the horse race. Yeah, I think partly out of joy that it's kind of not happening. Yeah. But there's there's been quite a few polls uh, recently, and they're, they're, they're looking pretty rough for Trump, certainly historical historically speaking. I mm-hmm. thought we'd weigh in... Uh, Check in with Lonnie on where he thinks things are. I have a couple of very interesting uh, nuggets of information for you here. Uh, first of all, I just tweeted this, and Hanson's going to, our executive producer is going to put it on our Facebook page. Um, I'm not sure how else to disseminate it. I guess we could post the picture at uh, com. But uh, if you get the idea that the uh, East Coast media is obsessed with the COVID, well, they are, partly because scaring you is a good way to get you to tune in. But uh, it's a map of the United States that the green area shows you where a third of the deaths have taken place, the yellow area likewise, and the red area likewise, a third, a third, a third. Jack, take a look at that map, would you? The whole damn country wow, that's incredible. Is, is the green, is the one-third of the deaths. And then you have a little bit in Chicago and uh, is that, is that in is Michigan. That, is that accurate? That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, the, the Detroit area... And then uh, a good deal of the eastern seaboard is the the second third. That's the yellow. And then, uh, essentially, New York, New Jersey is a third. 
That's incredible. Yeah, it well, is. that it certainly explains a lot of the media coverage when you look at that map. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking. We did the story a little bit ago. The they attempted to set up a Chaz in Portland. Riots overnight. Businesses smashed. Fires fighting the police. Same as in Seattle a couple of weeks ago. It's not getting much attention because it's on the West Coast. It's the opposite of that story. Imagine if only the Chaz things were happening in you know in uh, in New York and uh, in in Philadelphia for right. instance. Right, yeah. And the second thing of interest I wanted to bring you, and this is kind of a downer, um, but it's it's probably worth knowing. Uh, a good friend of ours, uh, his, uh, his wife has the COVID-19 and is now three months and a day into having it, and she's still testing positive, still feeling pretty miserable, although she's gotten back to some level of real life. Um, and it's still utterly unclear why she's gotten the super long-term terrible thing, still has... Uh, nausea, sore throat, shortness of breath. After three months, she is That's incredible. Well, I'll I'll use the words of our friend. Uh, she is defeated and exhausted and frustrated. Her primary care doctor at I'm not, I'm going to leave the name of the company. It's one of your big healthcare companies. I'm going to leave it off, but has fallen off the face of the planet. She also had COVID, so we don't know what's going on there. We're now requesting a new freaking doctor with big company and paying out of pocket for a follow-up with a research center that just did the latest test on her. Company has been really, really, really damned obscenity. Rhymes with spitty. We paid for this latest COVID test by uh, this other company uh, because the big company was too slow and... This other place is bogged down in massive bureaucracy. Then we, but she's still got to be separated from the family because they have uh, kids. And um, the last thing we need is all of us sick. Um, And then national media is writing articles about people that have had it for the same or less time than, than his wife. And yet we, two people in the damned industry, are struggling to get her adequate care. I will never, never, never be on an HMO. And I think she finally realizes it's just too risky. Yeah, the vast majority of healthcare is a bureaucratic effing mess, but when you are stuck in an HMO, you're just one step better than a government system when something like this really goes wrong. If she were on the PPO with me, we could take her anywhere and get good care. But in big company, we are stuck in their pathetic morass. Don't get COVID. Yeah, it's no big deal for 90% or so. But if you were in the 10%, it can be months of hell. Yeah, boy, that... uh... Well, and bureaucratic hell, while you're enduring physical hell, wondering what permanent effects it's going to have, and hoping you don't die. So, if, like, if I got it, all of a sudden I'm feeling sick, I go into the hospital and I've got it. Well, then immediately you test my family, obviously. But if they don't have it, then I've got to stay away from them until I stop testing positive, which, as in this case, could be months. Yeah, probably. How many people can do that? Uh, I don't know. It's terrible. I mean, because even if you're not, like, hospitalized, you got to be in an apartment or something, or you or get a hotel or whatever you're well, going to yeah, do. you got to be somewhere. Yeah. Unless you're going to sleep on a park bench. Which I've done. That came up yesterday at our home. Oh. Somehow, somehow the joke is sleeping on a park bench. And I said, I've done that. And my kid said, you've slept on a park bench? First time I ever came to California when I was 18 years old. I didn't have a, a hotel booked. I thought I'd be able to find a hotel room somewhere driving up and down the highway. And there I was sleeping on a park bench in Salinas, California. I'll be damned. Yeah, no hotel. It's not that comfortable. No, no. And one final code. You have to be really drunk. That's how those other guys pull it off. Ah, there you go. A little life hack. Yeah. Get be, hammered. Be super drunk and <laughs> right. you can sleep in the park bench. Yes. 
One final COVID note, because the media is into shocking you and terrifying you, and we're not. We just want you to understand the truth. That if you had fallen off that park bench and broken your arm, and they admitted you to the hospital and you had COVID, you would be listed as a COVID hospitalization, even though you feel perfectly fine other than your broken arm and your hangover. Um, so a lot of the statistics you're hearing about uh, hospitalizations are, according to one study, about 20% of the COVID hospitalizations are totally unrelated. They're just people with COVID as opposed to admitted for COVID. So it's difficult to hear these statistics and really know what the truth is. But a uh, quick note from our friends at Simply Safe, the best overall home security system you can buy, according to U.S. News and World Report. Now you're going to miss the two, three hundred dollars for the installation and a bunch of holes being drilled in your house by the traditional companies. I'm, I'm sorry you're not going to get that. Well, that's not going to happen. You're going to install it yourself. Nobody's coming home. You just uh, open the box, you place the sensors, you plug it in, and now you've got round the clock protection. Again, it's the best overall home security of 2020. It's about 50 cents a day. You're not locked into a multi year contract. Fantastic. How can you go wrong with a 60-day money-back guarantee? Why wouldn't you try it? It's got everything you want, including the doorbell cameras and sensors and the rest of it. So, yeah, give it a try. SimplySafe.com slash Armstrong. Simply is S-I-M-P-L-I. SimplySafe.com slash Armstrong. Again, 60-day money-back guarantee, and these are honest folks. They mean it. SimplySafe.com slash Armstrong. It's like the joke Dimitri Martin makes. If you're drunk, everywhere's a toilet. And if you're even drunker, everything's a bed. <laughs> That's true. That's uh, not a lifestyle the kids ought to be living, Jack. No, no, no. Not Indeed. saying it's anything to aspire to. Uh, we do want to have to- plenty of time to talk to Lon He, but what, what can I jam in before we get there? Durr, let's see. We got this over here. We got the, uh, the Dixie Chicks are now just the Chicks because they're ashamed of the South or racism or something. Dixie referring to the Old South. Uh, yeah, uh, all these kind the of things. The Broads. Yeah, now, the Broads. <laughs> the Tootses. I like- no, they're called the Tootses. I, I don't, a lot of this stuff I just don't get. Well, Lady Annabellum and the same thing. You just you don't want a reference to the old South, antebellum before the war, slavery. You like slavery if you use that name because everybody assumes that. I don't think anybody assumes that, but it's a gesture. It's their band; they can do what they want. Well, I guess. of course they can. I like Carrie uh, uh, writing us the note. Uh, they should have changed their name to the Karens and titled their next album. I need to speak to the manager. <laughs> That's a, you should be a show business manager yourself, Carrie. Oh, hey, you know what? Uh, as long as I'm... Oh, it's it's time to take a break. Yeah, we'll just take a quick break and, and come back with Lonnie. What James Carville has to say about the likelihood of Biden winning? Well, if he says it in a quaint accent, I don't care what he says. Exactly. I just love the accent. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Democrats by nature are nervous. They're so traumatized by 2016, they have to get over it. All right? And I get this all the time. Oh, James, please don't say that, because if people think we're going to win, they're not going to come out and vote. That's idiotic. We're going to win. What do you want me to do? Biden campaign has actually been pretty good. He did pretty good in the debates. And, of course, he's going to make gas between nine and election day. And it just sends the 25 percent of the Democratic Party into some kind of state of depression. Get over it. 
toughen up, people. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. Deal with it, Democrats. You're going to win. All right. James Carville <laughs> saying, look, wow. we're going to win. Well, there are a lot of polls out there that are not favorable to Donald Trump right now. And thought we'd talk to somebody who knows a lot about being involved in presidential campaigns on, you know, where we are now. We haven't talked much about this sort of stuff because, God, we're four months out. And well, and and well, I tell you what, let's bring Lon He in and and, and include him in the conversation. Lon He, Jay Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, uh, joins us now. Lon He, how are you, sir? Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I think I got your title right. I forgot to put on my glasses, so I'm squinting like a fiend. And you, no, and you, and okay. you, you have been involved in a couple of big-time major presidential campaigns, correct? Uh, four of them, okay. uh, including as a, as a senior aide to Mitt Romney in 2012 and a senior aide to Marco Rubio in 2016. And you're, uh, and you're a student of history uh, and teach all this stuff. So, um, good person to ask some of these questions. One... Do numbers move very dramatically from this point till election day? I mean, is that common? They, you know, uh, can can you make up ground? Or do they tend or, say you're eight points down in a a, a, a pivotal swing state? Sure. Do, do do numbers like that change in the last four months? Does that happen regularly? Yeah, the, the numbers definitely will bounce uh, all over the place. Trends will change based on events. You know, if you look at the 2012 campaign as an example. You had a you had a race that was not close uh, for a large part of the of the summer months and then uh, closed quite rapidly after the first presidential debate, which was in early October uh, in Denver. So, yeah, the, the numbers can absolutely change. The margins are, are big now. Don't get me wrong. I think Joe Biden has a very healthy lead nationally. Some of the swing state polling, which has been notoriously inaccurate in the past. Uh, the, the the sort of throw weight of that swing state polling suggests that Trump is also in trouble. So, I mean, th- those numbers, I think, reflect where we are today, but they are not necessarily a reflection of where the race will be in September or October. Well, not necessarily. But has anybody ever come back and won who was this far down four months out? Uh, that's a good question. So um, I believe Buchanan uh, was you- down 13 points, Jack. <laughs> Well, polling is fairly a fairly modern phenomenon, yeah. but I, I just don't remember anybody being this far down and coming back and winning. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly people who held on to leads, obviously, but I, I don't I don't know about coming back. And I'm, I'm just trying to rack in my brain thinking about people that have come back to win. Uh, and, and it's been rare. I, Clinton wasn't doing particularly well um, against George H.W. Bush. And then things kind of turned around for him late in the race. So that might be one race to look at where I would say Clinton was probably down at this point and came back to win it and not down by a small number either. So, um, you know, part of the challenge for, for Donald Trump, as I see it now, is that there's two things. One is the, the self sort of self-made errors, I think, have finally begun to accumulate. And I think people are beginning to see that. And the second thing I would just say, and there's some, um, you know, recent news about this, is that it's not really clear what his second term agenda will look like. And I think he and his campaign probably need to get out there and define that a little better uh, if, if if he wants to close this gap. Right. I mean, even Trump fans who, who are friends, relatives of, of mine and ours, will admit to some Trump fatigue. Um, and he absolutely yeah. needs to balance that with a uh, powerful, as he would probably put it, a positive message for the second term. So, uh, listen, Lon He J Chen, yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'm a sports fan. Did you? Are you a sports fan at all? Have we ever talked about this? Oh yes, oh, yes. yes, of course. 
Right. Okay. I'm a, I am. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big sports fan. What's your favorite sport? Uh, I would say it, it, it's baseball. Okay. All right. Fine. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Dodger fan. Uh, I'm, well, right. Oh, my God. Well, well goodbye. <laughs> we can't be friends anymore. Sorry. Uh, no, I kid. Um, a lot of uh, fabulous Dodger fans listening to the show, and we're as willing to pander to you as to anybody. <laughs> well, so, it, it, if uh, if you took a snapshot of where we are right now in terms of the Trump campaign and the numbers we've been discussing, is he down two runs in the fourth inning, or how would you how would you put how does he stand? How nervous should Trump fans be? Uh, I, I think they should be nervous, but they shouldn't be overwhelmingly so. So I would say he's down, you know, I'd say five or six runs in the second inning. That's how I would, that's that, that's how I'd put it. Interesting. I mean, I oh, okay, so it's a pretty, it's a pretty big lead, but it's yeah. so early. Okay, that, that and, is interesting. And he's a team that's won a lot. So, right, right. But, I, I mean, you know, if, if so, so. <laughs> and if all the players on the other race. team are 80 years old. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> right. They all have. They all, they, they've all torn their ACLs or had Tommy John surgery at yeah. some point. I mean, <laughs> look, here's 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 how I would think about it. If if I were looking at these polls, and and I'm I'm sure you know you've got a, a very sophisticated listener base, so maybe I'm saying something people already know, but but you do not need to worry so much about the national polls. Right. The real worrisome numbers that we're seeing if you're the Trump campaign or a Trump supporter are in the state by state. And if, if he's losing states like Arizona and Florida and North Carolina that he won in 2016 with decently healthy margins, you've got to be concerned when you see a number like, you know, down seven or eight in Arizona, down seven or eight in Florida. Well, down, I'm looking at him down 11 in Wisconsin, down 11 in Wisconsin, yeah. down 10 in Pennsylvania. Though That's tough. And I think the number is even bigger in Michigan. I mean, you know, I think we, we if you're the Trump campaign, you really do need to focus on Arizona, Florida, North Carolina right now. I mean, the, the, the fact that you're down in those states is a is a major trouble sign. Uh, the, the other states, I mean, Michigan, Wisconsin, those those polls never really had him all that close. I, I think a few polls at the very end may have had him closing in Michigan. But the Michigan, Wisconsin polling, Pennsylvania polling never really was all that friendly to Donald Trump in 16 anyway. So, so that's why I say, you know, if you look at the 2020 state by state polling, it really is those states in the in the sun, the south that are worrisome for for Trump. Uh, Lonnie Chan is online. Hey, Lonnie, quick, uh, maybe a minute on this, but I'm I'm looking at some COVID nineteen statistics. Um, when when the book is written, perhaps by you, about the politics of COVID nineteen. What's the headline? What's the title? What what approach would you take? How do you see this whole thing? Because there's been such a big political, uh, you know, uh, part of part of this that is political. I should say. I, I I would call the book the polarized pandemic, and 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 you sort of hit on the on the really big dynamic here, which is fascinating, is the degree to which we as a society have been polarized over everything when it comes to this pandemic. I, I mean, there is literally almost no question that is not politically polarized. Where did the pandemic come from? What should we call it? Uh, should people wear masks? How should society respond to it? Who is responsible for the spike in cases? Why is there a spike in cases? All of these questions are politically tinged, politically motivated. Uh, people's answers will differ based on how they see their their politics and who they like in political life and who they don't like. And and that to me is staggering, because if you look at past pandemics, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, 
you will find, I'd submit, a much lower degree of political polarization. And in fact, if you look at the response that other countries have had, it, it has not been driven as much by politics. And so our situation here around COVID-19, th- this will be a story people will write for generations to come, how polarized we've become around this pandemic. Well, that sounds like a great quickie book. I propose the following. You do the work. I put my name on it. And we <laughs> and we put it on, on the market. I want you to think about that. Sincere offer. That's a great offer. Lonnie Chen. As long as Dave, you guys promote it. He's a, <laughs> Lonnie, he's a fellow in the American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, and it's always great to talk. Thanks, Lonnie. Thanks, Ed. All right. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at some of the the COVID statistics, um, and they are utterly inconsistent, depending on where you are. They are being consistently misreported by the media, um, oversimplified and the rest of it. And I'm not a denier or, or anything like that, but um, there is such a low incidence of it, except where there is a high incidence of it. And it is so difficult to take to get people to take it, quote unquote, seriously, if they objectively now face incredibly little risk. I'm scanning you know, around where I live and several of the counties around the new cases, the new deaths and. There are practically no new deaths anywhere near where I live. At the same time, I know it's around. I know people have it. I know it can be awful. If you get next hour, we got clips of the week coming up and a lot more news for you. Hoping you stay with us. Armstrong and Getty.